How are the levels you're at? Not tonight. You're not on the list. Hello, I'm Connor McLoon and welcome to the brand new podcast, You're Not On The List, where I interview and dive deep into the lives of those in the music industry. From artists to event organisers and promoters to label owners, we take a look at the early life and careers of those in the scene. My guest today is Thomas Janes, owner and founder of Highfields Festival. Thomas cut his teeth on the world of events whilst at university and after spending some time out in Ibiza, decided he wanted to bring a piece of the magic back to Cambridge. What once started as a party in a field has now grown into something spectacular and I'm discussing what goes into that growth with Tom today. We also discuss the legal side of booking artists and what actually happens when acts want to drop out of festivals. Today I'm joined by Thomas Janes, owner and founder of Highfields Festival. Um, Highfields Festival is a multi-genre festival that is uh, based in Cambridgeshire. It's been going since 2015 and has uh, sort of a really sort of diverse and uh, all-encompassing uh, lineup um, from year to year. Um, Tom, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, very, very well. Thank you, mate. Very, very well. When we're recording this podcast at the moment, it's post the, the the breakdown to being able to go back to live events. As someone who has worked in live events for the past few years, as someone that is really engaged and um, all-encompassed in the music industry, how does that sort of make you feel at the moment? I mean, it's yeah, it's, a, it's the best news we've had for a very long time, isn't it? It's, it's been a long time coming as well. I mean, we didn't kind of expect uh, to be a year later when we kind of locked down for the first time. It was oh, two or three months and we'll be back to it. But it's, it's yeah, it's been a very long time. So yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be great, shouldn't it? It's really, really, really good news. Um, I just want to start at the beginning, if that's all right with you, going back uh, into your history so people listening can sort of understand the journey that you've had in the music industry so far and the journey that it takes to sort of start a, a festival from the ground up, sort of a grassroots level. So um, what were sort of your earliest experiences in the music industry or with music? Uh, the first probably experiences within the music industry is when I was probably at uni. I used to run club nights um, for students, no no big DJs or anything like that. It was just a case of getting as many heads into the uh, the clubs as possible, um, drink promotions and stuff and pounding the streets, flyering and wristbands and things. But um, yeah, then after we kind of finish um, running those parties, we go to the, the good parties um, at Mink Club or Stinky's Peak House um, and have a good dance until the early hours. That's, that's my kind of first foray into the music music world as such. And which um, which university or which sort of area was this at that you were at? I went to Leeds, yeah, Leeds up in Leeds, which was yeah, amazing. Yeah, great time. Didn't learn very much, but yeah, learn how to party and <laughs> learn what good music was. <laughs> and so was there sort of like a music scene in Leeds at the time when you were at uni? Like what sort of era are we talking back then and what sort of music would have been popular around that time? Uh, so I went to uni in 2005. Yeah, the music scene was great there. Mint Club is or was still a great place to go. Yeah, House and Techno Nights were great up there. Um, yeah, it was great to be fair. I went to uni in, so it was around 2013, 14. So popular at the time, like when you were going to like a nightclub, sort of house was becoming quite mainstream, like tech house, sort of the underground sound that had been there sort of really underground prior was sort of in the mainstream and it was in the charts and it was in the top 40 and it was on Radio 1 all the time. In around like 2006, 2007, around that sort of era, am I right in thinking that it was sort of like indie and stuff that was really popular in like student nightclubs at the time? Yeah, I mean, I guess you'd have to kind of look for the good parties. I mean, you, you're kind of the minority at that stage. It wasn't, there wasn't defected or a mainstream kind of kind of sound. You know, it was it was very um, almost underground, I'd say, um, which which made it kind of appealing to me. I think, and that's that's kind of 
why I went for that was a bit different um, to what everyone else is kind of listening to and yeah, just finding something something cool, I guess. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of why we yeah, went to those parties. Can you remember like the, the very first event that you put on and what it was like, like who you had sort of as a booking or like how many friends you got involved with it? Uh, so the first parties we ran in Leeds, I can't even remember, that's quite a long time ago. The first parties we ran back in Cambridge. I mean, when I came back from uni, we started our own event called Hi-Fi. Um, and yeah, we, we started with probably two or three hundred people kind of in a club called The Fountain and um, back in Cambridge, which was yeah, quite small, but it had a really low ceiling and it was a yeah, great atmosphere in there. So you didn't need that many people to kind of fill it up, which was which was great. And the name Hi-Fi, was there sort of like a, a reasoning behind that or was it just as straightforward as like the Hi-Fi system, like a sound system? Uh, yeah, I mean, I used to go to Hi-Fi. Hi-Fi was a club up in Leeds. Um, so yeah, when I went to uni... I kind of, yes, kind of stole that name and <laughs> took it back to Cambridge with me. Um, and then that was where Highfield was born as a, as a club night. Um, and then that's kind of where the Highfields came from as well. It's, that's why it's spelt wrong as such. <laughs> yeah, just to clarify, it's H-I-F-I-E-L-D-S, isn't it? That's that right, yeah. What sort of makes you transition then from running a night up in night up in Leeds to then running another one down in Cambridge and then going, you know what, we want to start a festival? We want to start something from the ground up and we've we've got this sort of success that we've had with booking acts at a club night. We now want to take that to a festival atmosphere. I mean, it was never something we did. We never sat down and thought, okay, let's go and kind of put on a festival or, or whatever. It's just that it's what can we do to have fun, you know, <laughs> go out and um, invite our mates. And yeah, the first party we hosted back in 2015 was um, just a party for our friends, really. Um, and then 500 people turned up. <laughs> so uh, it was a bit more than we kind of expected. Was that, do you mean 500 tickets were sold or uh, yeah, other people were sort of coming to crash? Uh, we didn't have any security there. So <laughs> this is our kind of first foray into, yeah, kind of um, festival. So we didn't have security and, uh, uh, yeah, people just kept turning up. Um, yeah, so it was good. But we had a few DJs. I think we, these were smaller DJs at the time. Christoph's obviously quite big now. And then we had the Annette Girls and Low Stepper. But they were all were very, um, yeah, starting off in their, their kind of careers at that stage and were a lot smaller than they are now. They're all very well renowned DJs so yeah, it's a great party but it was a bit yeah a bit <laughs> cowboy kind of risky <laughs> I was gonna say have you, got, have you got any like stories from the night where you've you've put on an event and suddenly 500 people have turned up that you didn't think were coming like there must have been like hardly any space on the dance floor or like was there anything that was like kicking off that you can remember from the night yeah so we our first big big event at the fountain and we used to run parties there without a headliner as such for um probably a few few months and then we booked Hannah once um another DJ um and she just kind of exploded at the time and it, I guess the capacity there was probably 400 and I think they had about 650 people in the venue they just kept letting them in and it was it was absolute chaos it was a great atmosphere and it all went very well but it was yeah absolute chaos and yeah so hot and sweaty but that's what's what you want as a clubber isn't it you want, want to be yeah brushing shoulders with the person next to you and yeah feeling that kind of vibe is yeah great 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 times you mentioned there that you um for the first few that you didn't necessarily book headliners uh, on some of the other interviews and chats that I've had with people, they've sort of pushed the importance of having a strong um, resident team. Would you would you echo that as well? Would you say that having a, a resident team like established and there for the brand is a really good thing? Or do you think sometimes that it is all down to the headliner? No, I think 100% um, residents. I mean, yeah, that's why we, we started doing it. And we went to, we've been to Ibiza hundreds and hundreds of times. And it's, that's why we, we started the event there yeah, to kind of come back and play the music that we wanted to 
to here, go to DC 10 and bring a slice of that back to Cambridge. And I think me and one of my best mates, Chief, we kind of DJed every weekend at the Fountain for probably two two years, you know, and yeah, just playing for other people, for ourselves and, you know, or to nobody as well, just me and him having a good time behind the decks. And then, yeah, we, we took on a few other recruits um, and then, yeah, we kind of had a, a really good, the DJ, DJs we have, the residents we have are probably as good as any kind of big headliner as it is anywhere. And they know how to read a crowd, warm up the crowd. And yeah, yeah that's exactly Exactly. What you need. Plus, it gets really expensive if you're booking huge lineups all the time. I mean, the boys pay for a, a couple of beers and a good time, which is very handy, and they help you tidy up after. Yeah, this this is one thing that I wanted to 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 bring up as well, especially where we've been in coronavirus and we've been in lockdown now. Just reading a couple of interviews and a couple of articles and stuff online from the perspective of a booking agent and from the perspective of organisers and and festival owners. Do you think there's going to be much of an impact with for those people that aren't aware? DJs get uh, booking fees, and obviously, the bigger the DJ, the bigger the booking fee, and and there's different there's different discussions around that. Do you think that there'll be a change this year? For what I mean is, do you think booking agents will will take a step back and might potentially lower rates of their artists because <laughs> we've had the year off? Do you think that there'll be sort of like a, a change in the atmosphere, a change in sort of the finances of festivals this year? Um, this is, is quite a contentious <laughs> topic. Um, <laughs> Uh, from experience, um, I was hoping that would be the case, but have, um, having spent the past couple of weeks booking artists, I don't think it's, it's not going to be any reset or lowering of fees at all. Um, in some cases, the fees have gone up, um, which is a shame. Um, I mean, we're all in it um, for the right reasons, hopefully. But yeah, so the answer is no to that one, <laughs> unfortunately. Why do you think that they would have put some of the fees up? Like, just from your perspective, obviously, like this is uh, this is just your opinion. Yeah, different agencies would have different reasoning behind it. But why do you think some of the, what do you think the mindset is of some of the booking agents if they've put the prices up for, for acts, even though they've had the last year off? Um, I guess the only reason I could get is because they've had a year off, you know, and they've missed out on a year of bookings and a year of money, um, which is which is quite sad, unfortunately. But, um, and that's, that's, that means that we have to suck it up as promoters. But that's kind of, that's, that's been the case for the last, yeah, 10 years since I've been doing this. And it's, it's un- unfortunate, but it's, it's the way it is. They kind of hold all the cards in that front. You have to pay what's asked. And if you don't, you won't get the DJs and you need the DJs to run the bigger festivals and the bigger events. And it's a shame, but it's, it is what it is. It's the way of the world, I suppose. They've got a commodity and it's, it's a valuable one. So yeah, it's up to them kind of thing to set the fees. Yeah. It's just, it's just crazy to think that they've, they've not put the fees down. Or like you said, they've gone up even further just to, to, take some finances back because they've had a year off of work or because people have been a year out of money after the realization that festivals weren't going ahead um last year in 2020 what were the next sort of steps uh highfields took as a company as a brand um so we, we hosted a socially distanced mini fest um in september last year before the second wave kind of kicked in we had three or four hundred people we um had distance uh, boxes that we sat people in or, or kind of gave them to stay in um, and then you kind of tried to push on as much as we could really host events host live parties just to stay relevant and in people's minds and give people a bit of positivity and hope as well because it was a tough time for everyone you know not just us people were struggling yeah you know in all walks of life and it's just been nice to it was just nice to put kind of things on and yeah get people dancing a little bit as, as much as we could and how did those events go were they sort of quite successful from your perspective or yeah it's great they're great events um it went well. We had no problems. Good feedback, um, but it's just, it's just quite hard to to make those uh, financially viable because it's, we kind of like to put on a good good show. So there's, there's kind of a minimum cost, and 
if you only have a small number of people there it's quite hard to to make it work kind of financially you know it's it's you need to you need to pay for the djs you need to pay for the sound system the stages and if you if you're restricting yourself on numbers and distancing people out it's quite hard to you know, make it work but yeah we did it and it's it was something that we, we wanted to do to give a little back as well you know to to all the people who kind of bought tickets and held on to tickets for high fields and that's great it's great to hear and it's good to think that it it created that momentum that carried carried sort of like the hype and the um the attention of the festival through to like this this year when the festival can go ahead it's sort of good that, that there's been some brands that have that haven't been able to do that over the last year and have sort of had to have a fallow year and not really put on any socially distanced events but it's great that you guys will be able to were able to accommodate that as festivals grow year on year it can be a difficult decision on when to expand or evolve an event I spoke to Tom about when it's the right time to move locations and when to add more to your brand. The festival this year is at Chippenham Park in Cambridgeshire. It had previously been at Dullingham Polo Club, uh, which is, was a slightly smaller location. How do you know when it's the right time to expand a festival? I guess from a, from a festival point of view, Dullingham was a great, great little venue for us, but it was well, the festivals that we enjoyed going to is, is kind of I mean, we've got a little team that are resi- our resident DJs and we're all friends so we go to festivals together and the ones that we'd always been to were the ones with the the good venues the great venues you go to and you kind of you have little bits of wood lakes and you can it kind of creates a better vibe if there's, there's something rather than just a big field with different with tents spotted about and that's that's what we were kind of looking for um, and then we've been looking for that venue for a while and then when we hit the kind of numbers that we wanted to so we hit two and a half thousand people we thought now's the time to kind of push on and find that that new venue and yeah take it to the next level as such and so the the festival in its history has got sort of is it around five to six stages it had last year yeah that's about right yeah. and each stage is sort of playing different types of music and different genres of music do you think that's an essential thing for festivals to have in the current climate do you think that there needs to be a lot of diversity at festivals in order to make them successful um, i think in dance music you do i mean it's if you went down a commercial route maybe not so much but with dance music it's kind of a niche isn't it you, you need you need to have those different streams to um yeah, to get everybody there and especially in the area we live in i mean we're out in the sticks here in east anglia so there's not such a such a big pool of people i mean in london you could host a strictly house house kind of event like house music genre kind of event but if you did that here it's it's you kind of narrowing down who could come and i think it makes for a better event when you have different people coming to the to the same party as well from different genres because they have their different styles of people and um, different vibes as well so it's it's nice to see everyone come together and be all under the same kind of roof for one day as such you mentioned there that um you are putting the event on in east anglia do you think there's a difference putting an outdoors event on in sort of not necessarily an isolated area but i'm thinking uh for example at finsbury park in london or reading festival when they're in the city and they're directly in the center of somewhere there's certain restrictions that people might not be aware of so you've got um you've got like noise pollutions you've got curfews like there's there's certain points where like there needs to be no music after a certain amount of time because of the noise pollution it could bleed out into the city and then the festival organizers could get some type of fine do you think there are certain benefits to like being out where you said like even though it's in east angola and it's it's slightly more isolated there might be some type of benefit there because you're not restricted 100 i mean we we've never had a single noise complaint in touchwood in five years of hosting huge stages and pumping out into the countryside so that kind of shows you the benefits of having it out there. And um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've never had any trouble in any kind of sense with licensing or or anything like that. So it's been, yeah, been great to 
to be out in the sticks, I can imagine, only imagine the, yeah, the trouble they have in, in town centres and yeah, large cities as such. And as someone who's worked in festivals for like over five years now, what do you wish someone had told you at the beginning of your journey? Um, I think stick to stick to what you like. Um, I mean, in the past, we've booked DJs to kind of sell tickets and you kind of fall out of love with it a little bit. We've taken that back the last few years. We've, we've stuck to booking the DJs we want to see um, who we'd pay to go and see, you know, if we wanted to go to a festival, who we'd want there, um, the decor that we'd want there, just literally kind of, that's that's how we do it. We host a party, how we want to go and visit a party ourselves, you know, and then you're kind of sticking and staying true to yourself. And that way you won't fall out of love with it. And it's, it's, it's such a great thing to put on an event that you would go to yourself when you stand back and look at it. It's, it's yeah, very nice. Do you get to enjoy it at the time? Because I've I've been to um I've I've been to Highfields Festival and I've seen you there and we've spoken and discussed other bits and bobs. But where there's so much going on, do you get to enjoy the festival, or is it only sort of in retrospect the day after, the week after, the month after you go, oh right, I can relax now and yeah, you know that was a good party. <laughs> I mean, it's here and there. It's a lot of the time I'm running around <laughs> trying to sort problems out and fight fires and stuff. Um, but I did I did spend yeah two or three minutes in the wood stage last year, and it gave me goosebumps just saying there and watching everyone going absolutely crazy, having the best time. It was yeah, that was a great moment. And for those people that don't necessarily have have no experience in sort of organising events, organising festivals, can you sort of give me a time frame of like say for the for the festival that is going on so in July this year, if 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 coronavirus hadn't happened and if we were just uh, in one of the prior years what time frame in the year do you sort of start organizing the festival because i've heard some people discuss and for, for for some festivals they're like oh it's literally like the week after the event has happened that we're doing the next year's prep and we're doing and we're booking and we're sorting out the the promotion and we're doing socials and stuff like that or and then some people have been like oh it's only really sort of three to four months before the festival where did where do you sort of feel like um you start prepping i think it's straight away mate i think it's, it's just a continuous is it obviously have ups and downs with um, how busy you are, but it's you're planning, yeah, you're booking venues and you're booking DJs, yeah, over a year in advance, uh, making plans. And it's, when we moved, um, we moved venues from Dunningham to uh, to Chippenham Park. We were we were talking to Chippenham Park the Christmas before a Dunningham a Polo Club event. You know, so it's kind of a year and a half in advance of of the next show, which would be there. So it's it's yeah, continuous. Um, it's it's a bit quieter. I mean, September to December is a kind of quiet time after the event, but then after Christmas, it's all hands hands to the pumps and yeah, going for a promo and yeah, organising and meetings with the council and yeah, premises licences, all the fun stuff behind the scenes. From social media and an outsider's perspective, it can seem like events are all the highs and none of the lows. But obviously, this is real life and there's always setbacks. We discuss what some of the challenges of running a festival have been. Uh, so what have you found the most difficult thing is when running a festival, Tom? It just to start with, it kind of changes. It, it doesn't it doesn't begin, um, it doesn't say the same as such. When you when you when you first start out, it's quite hard to get the right names in that you need um, because obviously they the bigger DJs want to go to the bigger events and they want to go to somebody with a with a, or to an event with a proven track record. So I'd say that's the hardest thing to get going is getting getting the bigger DJs and having the money to pay for the bigger DJs. You know, some of the DJs are quite expensive. Yeah, even if you can afford them, they won't come to your event unless it's got that reputation and you can't build that reputation up until you've um, hosted a few events. It's, yeah, so it's quite hard to to get up the ladder to start with but um yeah once once you kind of get there it's a bit easier and without sort of without naming names 
or divulging anyone personally what have you sort of had to experience in the past with with getting people booked or like have you have you had any people drop out last minute or have you had any people like not turn up because they've been stranded somewhere or they haven't been able to get to the festival in the past like has there been sort of any nightmare situations yeah many (laughs) (laughs) um i'd love to drop names (laughs) into it but um I don't think that'd be good for the brand. No, not good for business, is it, that one? But, uh, <laughs> no. but if you, yeah. Um, yeah, I can, give you some, I can give you some stories. So um, we booked a, an act, let's say. This was for our first festival, actually. They've gone on to be absolutely huge. It would have been great to have them, but they were blowing. They, I heard their track on the radio, and I was like, right, we need to book these guys. So we booked them, paid for them, all ready to go, about two months before the event. You can probably see it on our events if you go and have a look, by the way, because um, <laughs> we, we were promoting for, promoting them as headliners. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, they pulled out um, but just because they got too big and we hadn't paid enough money. And this is this is our first festival. And, yeah, we didn't kind of know what was what at that stage. So we just kind of went along with it. And they, they went on tour and went to America, I think. Um, and, yeah, we didn't, we didn't get a look in or we just had to replace them, which was probably a month or so before before the first festival um but then the similar similar kind of thing happened in 2019 but we we were a bit bigger and a bit bit more sure of ourselves then and we said no and we, we made them stick to the contract and this is what i was going to ask so if yeah. i was just going to play dumb and just from an outsider's perspective someone might be going well if you've booked them for a festival and you've paid some of say like a deposit or something up front how can they sort of just pull out like is there is there not like a contract signed or is there like a yeah I mean you sign you sign contracts and they they, they don't mean a lot to be fair if um, they can kind of bend the rules because they're such a big big powerhouses these companies that own the board um like host the DJs and yeah they're such big companies in comparison to our smaller small festivals you know it's it's quite hard I guess Glastonbury hold a bit of weight but when you're talking us against yeah huge corporations it's it's quite hard to to go up against them and um, so you just have to do your best just try and keep everyone happy and just be I'd, my one thing i would say is just try and be nice to everybody and even though things might be crap or you're struggling and people are trying to pull out just try and be as nice as possible because you never know when you're going to work with them again you know that's that's what i was always say don't burn your bridges as- that's really good advice actually because uh like you said you never know when you're going to run into someone again or someone might change jobs or or like you said a, a booking manager might go to another agency exactly. and if you've pissed them off at one you don't want to piss them off at all of them yeah. have you ever said no to any demands that has been asked of you say if we were to talk about a rider so a rider is is something that an artist or a dj has asked for um prior to them playing at a place so it might be a certain drink or it might be a certain piece of equipment or stuff like that have, without naming names again have you um, <laughs> have you ever have you ever turned around and been like no we can't do that or no we're not doing that for moral reasons uh, i mean yes we, we i mean <laughs> it's good questions by the way um it says well again when we talk about how we used to do things and how we do things now back in 2015 we used to get everything on the riders and one of, one of this came from a dj actually um she said, don't bother getting our, our riders, just buy them one bottle from the rider because we'll never drink it all anyway. So DJs have riders, say, for example, with two bottles of vodka, three bottles of the best champagne, um, snacks, T-shirts on the, on the bigger DJs riders. I've seen dressing gowns, grapes, all sorts of things. <laughs> <laughs> God knows why. But um, yeah, she just said, buy them one bottle and say, if, they, if they've got that kind of rider with all that on it, just buy them a bottle of vodka and a bottle of champagne and you won't get any complaints. And we've done that and we've had the biggest DJs and and we've never had a complaint since then. So it's just kind of learning these things when you when you kind of know what's what's going on. And that was a good piece of advice from a from a DJ. Yeah. So 
thank you for that. Yeah, that's <laughs> that was actually, actually one of the Annette girls. So she said to me, yeah, just don't bother. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's great that, it's, uh, that's great that it paid off for you because I've, I've heard some horror stories with uh, some, certain people acting like divas. And uh, and yeah, it's uh, some, some egos sometimes go out of control, <laughs> don't they? Yes, true. After a year off from festivals and moving into a post-COVID world, organisers and attendees might be asking, what's going to be different at this year's live events? I spoke to Tom about what changes could lie ahead. We're now in March and festivals are supposed to be able to get the go-ahead from the third week in June. How do you think that festivals this year will differ if they get the go-ahead? Just to give some background information, Highfields is supposed to be the 3rd and the 4th of July this year, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So what sort of changes will that have in comparison to last year's festival besides from the location? I mean, we're hoping nothing. Um, We're hoping to... It all goes to plan, and um, yeah, Boris Johnson gets everything right. That's which would be amazing for us. Um, I don't think we'd put on a socially distanced event. I think we'd move move the event back if we had to. Um, but because because we were in the time frame when there's going to be no res- no restrictions, we thought we'd stick to our original weekend, go for it as because we'd be one of the first weekends um, anyway for festivals to kind of happen. Um, so yeah, we're going to go for that date, and if, if all goes to to pot or whatever, we'll push push it back and yeah, go later in the year if possible. That's good to hear. It's good to hear that you might be covered for that. Um, when when you were starting out with the early festivals. Um, did you ever have sort of like a fear of failure or even when you were starting out with the nights at the university, did you ever have like a, uh, oh shit, what happens if this goes wrong? Oh shit, what happens if nobody like buys any <laughs> tickets? I've had that fear and I've had that happen as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you run pies for as long as me, you have events when nobody turns up. <laughs> and what sort of like, in that in that situation, without like, it, you can be as honest as you like with this, what, if you've, if you've put on a night and you've, uh, you say you've paid an X amount to hire a club and you've paid X amount to have a, have a DJ or a headliner turn up and the, you don't pull in the numbers, is it just dust yourself up and go again? Or do you have to say like, have a few months off to like recoup your losses, like financially? I think, yeah we just we just kind of tried to go we've had events where we've lost yeah quite a bit of money and you just you just have to build the way i looked at it over the past 10 years i just kind of pushed all of my money personal money because i had a job as well at the same time i didn't just promote and um, i used to pump all my my money into it and just see it's building the brand you're going to take take hits but it's just got to keep moving forward and then the next party everything's fine again you know so you're only as good as your last party as such and it's a bit of a cliche but um yeah as long as you're you keep pushing forward and you keep going, then I think the brand kind of builds and it's 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 kind of worked for us just moving forward that way. That's really good advice. As long as there's sort of like a, a positive correlation over the over the whole lifespan of your company, then it doesn't sort of it well, it will matter if you have dips, but it's as long as things are on the positive and on the up overall, then it's just gonna be like standard life, isn't it? To have the little knocks and have the little so, yeah, the little yeah. setbacks. How do you sort of think, as someone that has started since um, around sort of the time social media was kicking off, how have you sort of seen social media impact your events with regards to, say, like from maybe a marketing perspective and tickets and stuff like that, but then also sort of at the events themselves, like with people with their phones out, all recording videos, all taking photos, like on one aspect, I suppose that's a positive because it's promotion while everyone's at the event and everyone's seeing how much of a good time that they're having. But then other people would argue like, oh God, put your phones away, you should be enjoying the event and enjoying the dance and um and uh yeah how have you sort of seen that change or like i've seen that uh, adapt over the years from a, from a promo point of view i mean social media is brilliant it's i mean remember going out and just before i mean i went to uni in 2005 when facebook was just kicking off and we had to go out and fly out, <laughs> which was which is rubbish whereas now you can, you can pump a couple of quid in and send it out to exactly the person who you want to want to see it you know which is 
incredible. But um, from a from an event point of view, of being there, I'm I'm a bit old school, and I I'm not one of the phone kind of crew. Um, I I do think it kind of detracts a little bit. I, I I wish I did take photos and videos, but I've been to some good parties and I've never taken a photo. But I've got those memories in my head, and I, I think I've, I've had a great time without my phone. You know, it's yeah, without everybody knowing that I've been there. And it, it is when you go and see a DJ and everybody's got their phone. Out, yeah, are they really enjoying it or are they doing it for the, for the gram as such? This is I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm a bit old school in that sense. And yeah, when I was young and raving, we didn't really have phones that were capable of taking videos. Probably for the best, actually, to be honest. A lot of the time, people, not for, not that's not a specific thing against you. I mean, a lot no, of people will say there wasn't photos and there wasn't videos, yeah. and they're very glad of it because yeah, some definitely. of the states or some of the situations that people got into, there's no there's no photographic evidence, there's 100%. no video evidence of it nowadays. Um, you touched previously. I just want to return to the. Uh, you said you were going to Ibiza a few times. And then coming back and bringing the party back to Cambridge, what changes or sort of what differences do you think there are in Ibiza? And what do you think going out there and experiencing the likes of DC10, which is a big super club in Ibiza, what do you think that taught you? I think it's the changes as I've seen since um, since it started. I mean, I'm, I'm quite old, so yeah, I used to go to the manumission parties, which were a little bit out there. Um, and yeah, nobody had their phones. It's, it has brought brought that uh, that kind of craziness down a level down a little bit because they can't be yeah so out there with their with their activities the stuff that go on um and then yeah i think it's i don't know that's kind of yeah made it a bit more mainstream as such which is which is a bit of a shame yeah no that's true that's true um but yeah, I suppose it is, it's, it's a sod's law, isn't it? It's made it a little bit more mainstream. But then, like you said, the marketing and the promotion and stuff like that that you get as as organisers has, has benefited you. So it's sort of, uh, there's peaks and troughs throughout of it. Yeah. What do you think it is about UK festival culture that makes it so special? Like without, I know you might not want to mention uh, competitor festivals, should we say, but is there any sort of like other festivals that you've been to where you're like, this is cool or like, I really like this or this is a cool experience? Yeah, Secret Garden Party, hands down, is the best festival I've been to. Um, I've been to lots of festivals in the UK and in different countries as well. And it's, it's yeah, it's just madness. It's, it's the closest thing I can kind of relate to. I don't know if you know about Manumission. It's a, a club night in Ibiza where they used to have sex shows and yeah, people yeah dancing around being crazy and it's madness. But Secret Garden Party is the nearest thing I can kind of yeah put to that. And it's, that's just, <laughs> it's just a, a, weekend, a weekend of craziness. It's weekend? <laughs> just a crazy uh, weekend. Good people and good vibes. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I, I haven't been to, uh, what was it, Malumation you said? Malumation, it's yeah, party. Malumation, sorry. Yeah, one of the original... Um, parties and i'd be there in yeah it started in the 90s i think and i caught the kind of tail end of it in right yeah the early 2000s um as a young and was it was it petering out or was it still pretty intense by the time you you were arriving there uh, i mean there was thirteen thousand people in i don't know if you've ever been to the nightclubs over privilege is a, a huge club and um, thirteen thousand people going crazy um yeah fat boy slim in the, in the toilets djing and this is an actual toilet not like the high toilet which is dance floor and a DJ there is just him and like six cubicles and Fat Boy Slim's there DJing, which is pretty incredible. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, who who did they have on the lineup and the headline slot if if Norman Cook, Fat Boy Slim, is DJing in the toilets? It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, they don't they didn't ever used to have the biggest names. They they just he was they just have like random people and then but then they'd have also have live bands. I think I saw um, Electric Six there one year, so they'd stop the music um, and then the band would just come on and play, which is you just never even would you ever think of doing that at a nightclub um, playing house music and then having a band and then stopping it and having a, a show like a circus act 
in between it's just yeah incredible just mind-blowing to be fair that does sound right <laughs> and i'm jealous that you got to experience it uh like you said variety is definitely something that will uh will keep actually i'm just going to touch on a point there like you said having a bit like a dj and then a band and then a, like different events with with certain sometimes on main stages of festivals have you ever found this is maybe from a punter's perspective, not necessarily an organizer's perspective, but like the BPM of a track, so the speed of a track or the, the genre of a track. If you go from something, say, like drum and bass, which is really, really fast, and then go back to house or back to sort of like something that's slower, like disco, have you sort of experienced that at festivals and like found it jarring? Or have you thought, have you experienced it and thought it's quite, um, quite sort of like all right depends on sort of the festival you're at i mean i i, I love all music i'm not a music snobber so i don't just stick to house and techno I, if, if it's good i will listen to it that's that's kind of my view on music and i love everything so yeah i've been to festivals where they've had yeah, different acts so one after another and i kind of like it but I, I can imagine some people just stick to what they know um, and they follow the djs um around the or the genres around the stages but yeah i like yeah variety variety is a spice of life isn't it i like all types types of music and I think it yeah, adds to it it's good to have the um, different speeds and yeah kind of styles of music at the same time at the same weekend you know it definitely is it's definitely good to have a bit of variety on there absolutely what's um is something that has surprised you about um about putting on large events with thousands of people I guess it's kind of um looking after you kind of have to babysit two and a half thousand five thousand people at an event you just have to make sure that everything everything is safe um because if it's not you'll get found out and yeah i guess planning plan ahead with everything i plan and double plan everything and check everything and yeah, make sure there isn't anything that can go wrong if if it does make sure you have kind of plans of action if, it, if it's going to go wrong you know it's because because you'll get found out if not and with that many people it's 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 quite tricky to get it right yeah um but just yeah like you said babysitting five thousand people on paper <laughs> sounds horrendous and you think oh christ because everyone's got different backgrounds some people are drinking like some people are driving and like staying sober everyone's at a different point in their life and like you said you've got different ages as well at, at festivals it's not just it's not just young people that are like between the ages of 18 and 30 you've got some people that are going older and accommodating everything has got to be a really really difficult thing when festivals return this year and and we're sort of moving into a, a post-corona post-lockdown environment for live music what um would you like punters pun, i don't like the word punters really i should really <laughs> say like festival attendees punter yeah. sounds quite uh, colloquial festival attendees or people that are people that are buying the tickets to go to the festivals what what would you like to sort of if you could say something to them or give some advice for this year to come back um from from the perspective of like a, a, an event organizer what, what advice would you like to give to people who are buying tickets this year and attending the events or trying to support put your phone away and bring the vibe <laughs> put your phone away and bring the vibe that's, uh, you can quote me on that one that's, yeah no, that's a really that's a really good mantra that's, it's that's, quite, that's quite really, short really but yeah no, no, no that's a really Really, really great mantra to have. Uh, well, thanks very much for that, Tom. That's been really insightful to sort of hear how taking an event and transforming it and evolving it into a grassroots festival and then having that festival grow organically and sort of expand over the last couple of years in a location that isn't in the city centre, that isn't right next to a massive city where you're going to have the draw of thousands of thousands of students or thousands of thousands of people. Um, it's really insightful to see how you've adapted that. That's cool. No problem. Thank you for inviting me. It's been, been a pleasure. It's been a laugh as well, actually. Good yeah, time. it's been 
yeah, it's been great <laughs> to have a chat and sort of hear some of your stories and learn about some of the clubs that I didn't know about that I'm absolutely <laughs> going to be going to check out on like YouTube now or like read articles on about it. Like, Definitely check out Man Mission, mate. It will, yeah, it will change the way you look at parties. Yeah, yeah that sounds like the last days of Rome. That sounds really, really <laughs> exactly interesting. <that>. But... <laughs> I've told you once, I've told you twice, you're not on the list. All right, all right.